Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. <laughs> Evening, everybody. Really good to be here again tonight and uh, sharing with you once more. If you want to open your Bibles to that passage, um, or you can use the sheet, of course, that you've just been reading, um, but it might be good to open your Bible to what you're familiar with, um, verse 7 through to 11. I'm not going to read it again just at the moment. But as you've been sitting reflecting on those words, as if, if you're honest, and I'm going to be honest with you, this doesn't always look like my prayer life. I mean, what you've just read. Am I, am I the only one in the room? And what I mean by that is the process, the process being keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and then the result answers. And so the persistence is not always there. And the outcome is not always there. And I think, and I'm not being negative, you'll see that in a few moments, but it's, it's good to be honest with one another. Get past the facade and the religiosity and the hypocrisy that's often involved around our prayer lives. But I think after my sin life, the thing I might be most embarrassed about is my prayer life. Now I'm working on that. Um. And for many of us, if we're honest, we're bored with prayer, if you're allowed to say that in church. Um, we are. It's not the most exciting thing in our life, and therefore we have to ask the question, why is that? And there are many reasons that I haven't got time to go into tonight but one that is pertinent to this passage is very practical, and that is that we so often do not see obvious returns for our prayers. In other words, answers. So we give up. And as far as the sphere of prayer is concerned, answers incentivize to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking. We keep praying when we see that it works. Now, Psychologically and sociologically, it has been proven that we human beings tend to only engage in things that we enjoy and that are productive or beneficial for us. So we tend to bend things that don't seem to be pleasurable and don't get us anywhere. Hence, prayer is often one of the first things in our devotional life that falls away. By the way, that's why sin is such a big problem, just in case you hadn't noticed uh, we tend to enjoy it, or at least our old nature tends to enjoy it. That's why it's so difficult resisting temptation at times. The Bible even agrees with that. Sin is pleasurable for a season. It has a big poisonous bite, of course. But nevertheless, that's the reason why we find it so difficult at times, resisting. And even difficult things in life that need discipline, so the athlete trains to win a medal or a trophy, and whether it's sporting prowess or academic study, we, we can even do the difficult things if there is incentive. If we know that the pain will result in the gain 
and we're going to get something out of it. We persist because we're incentivized that the outcome will make our lives better through the achievement. So we persevere. Now, there's a lot we might read into that. It may indicate that we are inherently selfish as human beings. We only do things when we get something out of it. But it certainly does indicate that incentivization is very important in our human makeup. And I think that's more likely the case, that this is the way we're wired. God has made us this way to expect that when we ask, when we seek, and we knock, and not just in prayer, but if we persist in anything, whether it's work or pleasure or, or sport or studies, we're going to get something out of it. Now, this is a vital point. Our incentivization in prayer must be relational rather than functional. Do you understand what I mean? We'll see it in a moment or two. But it must be relational rather than functional. Otherwise, our prayers become selfish. They might even become sinful. And they will probably remain unanswered. James, in his epistle, chapter 4, says, You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you're asking in selfish ways to consume the answer upon your, your lusts and desires. Um, the Passion Translation translates it like this. And all the time, you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. So you, we mightn't even be praying at all. But even when we do, if you do ask, you won't receive it for you're asking with corrupt motives. Actually, the, the word there in the Greek is kakos, which means sick motives or sickly motives. Seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires, you have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Powerful language, isn't it? So many don't pray, but even those that do at times don't get what they're asking because their incentivization is wrong. It's not relational. It's functional. They just look and answers. So I want to say right at the outset, a caveat, a disclaimer, this passage of Scripture, it, it's not about getting some kind of drive-through fast prayer service from God. Just ask, seek, and knock, and you get the answers. He does not operate a heavenly vending machine that you put the prayer in and you, you get the answer out. And ask, seek, and knock are not click into your card categories in some kind of heavenlyamazon.com, okay? And sometimes we read these prayer verses, and it can strike us like that. A casual reading can cause us to fall into the trap of thinking that it's like rubbing some genie's bottle, and poof, you have one thing to ask, and you'll get it. Can I just say, thank God there's more to it than that. And I mean that. Thank God there's more to prayer than just asking and getting in that type of way. Why? Well, just imagine for a moment. Indulge me now. If you got every answer to every prayer you ever prayed, I think sometime, maybe you want to put this in the program for discussion or something like that, we should have a praise service for unanswered prayer. Yeah? <laughs> for the times God didn't give us what we asked for. A lady called Ruth Harms Calkin uh, wrote a, a poem, Thank You for Saying No. It went like this, Lord, day after day I've thanked you for saying yes, but when have I genuinely thanked you for saying no? 
Yet I shudder to think of the possible smears, the cumulative blots on my life, had you not been sufficiently wise to say an unalterable no. So thank you for saying no, when my want list for things far exceeded my longing for you. When I asked for a stone, foolishly certain I was asking for bread. Thank you for saying no to my petulant, just this time, Lord. Thank you for saying no to senseless excuses, selfish motives, dangerous diversions. Thank you for saying no when the temptation that enticed me would have bound me beyond escape. Thank you for saying no when I asked you to leave me alone. Above all, thank you for saying no when in anguish I asked, if I give you all else, may I keep this? Lord, my awe increases when I see the wisdom of your divine no. When my 13-year-old comes and asks me for the keys of the car, I say no. <laughs> Not because I'm a killjoy, but because I don't want him to kill himself. It's for his good. And the core issue here in this passage is that prayer must be relational, not functional. It is not a trade-off. And so often we as Christians, evangelical Christians especially, have this concept of if I put this in, then I get this out. And it's a kind of trade-off. It's not commerce. And it's not just communication, you know, prayer. It's communion. It's a sharing. It's an entering into the deepest relationship possible. It is relational. That's why Jesus says, what father gives a child harmful stuff? So you ask for bread. Your kid asks for bread, you give him a stone and break his teeth on. You know? He asks for a fish and you give him a snake to kill him with venom. We wouldn't do that. We being fallen, depraved, sinful people don't do that with our kids. How much more does your heavenly father not do that? So here's the first key to effective prayer that I want us to learn uh, tonight. The first key, number one, to effective prayer is that effective prayer is built on the Father heart of God and our sonship relationship to Him. Now, sonship, girls, don't switch you off. That is, it's not a sexist term. It's a biblical term, and it refers generically to male and female. But it is a, a, a biblical concept that is couched in the term of the son and what the son inherited in the Bible. And we all get it, sons and daughters. But it's important relation, relating to being heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus, as we'll see a little bit later. People will say, oh, effective praying is praying according to the will of God. You ever heard that? Maybe you believe it. You should believe it because it's true in measure. But that's not just what effective praying is according to the word of, will of God or the word of God. Because technically, you can know God's will without being relational with him. And sometimes how we read our Bibles, there's a promise, go to God with it and get it. Bill Johnson said this, the gospel gets perverted when people who are not in love interpret the scriptures. Wow. In other words, when we're not relational with God, when we're functional with Him. The best way to know God's will is to know God's heart, and the best way to know God's heart is to know Him as Father. Let me repeat that. The best way to know God's will is to know God's heart, and the best way to know God's heart is to know Him as Father. 
Prayer is not just about getting answers. It's not knowing how to. And that's why I've used the term effective prayer rather than just answered prayer. It's about getting to know God. He is the answer to our prayers. Abba Father, what Jesus taught us to pray. Abba being Aramaic for Dada. Emma is Mama. Abba is Dada. In Hebrew, Abba is Daddy. So this is learning that we are sons and daughters of Abba God, Papa in heaven, our heavenly dad. And this is, can I say, and this is a digression, and yet it's not, this is the answer for our age. Because we live in the fatherless generation, if ever there was one, and the aching heart of our generation is to know a father, a true father. Jesus had his own disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray as John taught his followers, his disciples to pray. Jesus taught them, after this manner pray, our Father. That's how he started. And uh, I was sharing this morning my story of a revolution that happened in my Christian life about 13 years ago. I was sharing it and Emmanuel poured it down. And you can listen in if you want on YouTube or whatever. But one of the massive revelations that started to change me as a Christian was the Father heart of God. Understanding that when I read Father in Scripture, all I was seeing was the word God. That's all I saw. But understanding what it means for him to be my heavenly papa and to be his child. By the way, this is, I believe, the central message of the New Testament. This is what Jesus came to reveal, the Father's heart. And so prayer is revolutionized when we understand who this God is for us and who we are to him. That he's our father and we are his children. And so it's all about identity. And I know you folk are good at this here in Emmanuel. It's all about identity. Who we are because of who God is. And I know I've emphasized the negatives of God being our father and withholding harmful things from us. But it's much, much more positive. And the first key to effective prayer is built upon understanding God is the father. And I am his child. Look at these verses. Romans 8, 15, 17. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And I don't have time to go into all this, but simply what this means is, okay, we're in the will with Jesus. Did you hear that? When someone dies, the family's gathered to the solicitor's office, the will is read, ex executed, it should be anyway, as is written, and it's divided out. The will of God has been read. Jesus has died and purchased God's will for us, and the will is split between us and Jesus. Or to put it better, what Jesus gets, we get. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. So whatever you see in Scripture coming to Jesus is coming to me. But I need to claim it. Not leaving in the solicitor's office or in, on the heavenly desk, but claim it, draw it down into my account and into my experience. And this is what it means to be adopted. 
This is what it is to understand who my father is, who I am to him as a child, and what is mine when I'm coming to him. Now, there were two problems in Bible times for adopted children. There was a long period of adjustment for for at least two reasons. First of all, there was a slave mentality. Kids who had been slaves and servants didn't understand what it was not to be that anymore and to be a son or a daughter. And so they would get up to do their chores at the same time they always got up and they didn't have the freedom to go out and play, or at least that's what they thought. And they still felt forced to do the negative things and they they weren't enjoying the rights that they now had as, as children. And many of us are like that. We still think we're forced to do sin when the Bible says, no, you're no longer slaves to sin. That's a lie, believing a lie. If you're a son or a daughter of God, that's not the case. And you maybe are not aware of the inheritance that you have, and you're still a slave mentality. And part of that that outflows is a, a slave poverty. You don't understand that you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and you're not enjoying what's yours. And that's what is keeping you back from actually living in your inheritance because you have a mentality of a slave or an orphan with a begging bowl coming to God. And Jesus is teaching us, if he's teaching us anything in these verses, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, is you're a child of your father. He's not going to give you anything to harm you. In fact, he gives you much more. So that affects answers to prayer. That does affect answers to prayer. We're not saying you you don't want to be looking for those. Those are incentives. But if it's relational, that means you're going to know what's in Father's heart. And so you're going to keep asking. You're going to keep seeking. You're going to keep knocking until you get it because you know what's in there. Yeah? So the first key to effective prayer is built on the Father heart of God and our sonship relationship to Him. The second key, and the last one, His effective prayer is built upon the goodness of God and that he wants to give us good gifts. Now listen, again, the emphasis is not on our expertise. We know how to ask and get. The emphasis is on his character. Would you turn with me to to Luke 11 to another parable? Um, Some of these parables used to really confuse me before I knew Father's heart. Verse 5 of Luke 11. A friend comes at midnight. We love friends like this, don't we? (laughs) Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because, of his friend, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, what is that teaching? It's teaching this. God is not like this. That's what it's teaching. This guy gets his answer because of persistence. But you see, answered prayer is not based on friendship. It's based on sonship. It's based on who the Father is. It's based on the much more of Father's heart. The Father answers because of His goodness. He's not tight-fisted. You you don't have to wrench God's fingers apart to get from Him what you think is your due. It's the opposite of this. 
that Jesus is teaching. That actually your sonship to Father God and His goodness of heart is the incentive. That's where the incentive is. We are motivated to pray because God is good. Look at verse 11. Oh, well, this is chapter 7 of Matthew. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He gives good things because he's a good God. Now, let me be real here. Some people don't pray, have given up on prayer, or certainly don't persist in prayer. They give lip service to prayer because of deep disappointment in their life. And can I say this? In the depths of your consciousness, or even your subconsciousness, you may not believe that God is truly good. I think there's a lot of Christians like that. Usually it's because of a hurt, some kind of, as I said, disappointment or trauma. Now, I'm not belittling any of these things. I know there are real issues here, and there's mystery. I have not the answer to the mystery of suffering and all the rest. I can't explain a lot of things that take place in our lifetime, but I do know that this Scripture means what it says. And I do know when it says that God is good, that He is good. Some people are afraid of God. And I'm not talking about the fear of God. That's a good thing. But it's more an awe and a reverence, respect of God. Now, if God showed up, I mean, in His manifest form, I'd be on my face probably quite scared. But it's more white-knuckle roller coaster scared than axe murderer scared, if you know what I mean. Catch my drift? It's not being afraid of God. It's the fear of God. But some people are afraid of God. And they don't persist in a prayer relationship with God because they're afraid that God's going to ruin things. And I don't know how many times I've heard mothers say to me, I'm afraid if I surrender my life to the Lord completely, 100%, He's going to take my child away. Which betrays right away that that's not a good God, is it? I'm not saying things don't happen. Of course things happen. Why, why would your father, who is good, and this scripture says give goods, good gifts, how much more does he give good gifts? Why would he give something to hurt you? Is this not what this says? Why would he give... When you're asking bread, a stone. Why, when you're asking a fish, would he give a serpent? Let's just get things right here for a moment, okay? And this is not very deeply theological, but who's the guy that goes around hurting people? Who is that? It's Satan. And sin hurts people. Our sin and the sin of other people that often we, unfortunately, we're party to and, and pray to. People hurt people. Yeah? And of course, and this is also a mystery, we live in a fallen world, and it's a kind of an openness in that regard where people can hurt other people, accidents happen, stuff hits the fan, and that's the world we live in. But so many want to blame God on so much. 
And yes, there are things that are permitted and aren't good, and that's a whole big subject. And I don't have all the answers, but I know this, that it is the serpent, the liar, who asks the question, is God really good? I know where that comes from. And you need to know where it comes from. Someone said, if we question God's goodness, we'll question his promise. If we question his promise, we have undermined our destiny. Wow. If we question God's goodness, we question his promise. And if we question his promise, we have undermined our destiny. What does that mean? Well, Romans 8, 28, I know it's been used in a cliched way, and that's not the way it's meant to be used. The people are going through tragedy, and you just throw this verse at them. But if it is what it is, it means what it says. And if they knew, we know, we ought to know. That's going to make a big difference to our lives, let alone our prayer lives. If we know that all things work together for good, it doesn't say all things are good because all things aren't good. And it doesn't say all things are from God because all things are not from God. But it says that even all the stuff that comes our way, from the enemy, from others, from our own mistakes, he is able, and this is a masterful sovereignty if you ask me, he's able to take it all and work it for my good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So to simplify that, wherever you are tonight, whatever you're going through, if it's not good, it's not over. Either we believe God or we don't. Yeah? And so often we believe everybody and anything but God. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he or she who comes to God must believe that he is. Is what? Well, that's a lot of things. But we need to believe he is good. Effective prayer hinges on knowing that God is your father, you're his child, and he's good, and he gives good things. It affects answered prayer because if God is good and gives good gifts, you'll keep asking, you'll keep seeking, you'll keep knocking until you get it, because you know it's there. Now, let me finish with this. My time hasn't completely gone. Luke, when he renders this story, okay, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he couches it in the context of the Holy Spirit. So rather than saying God gives good gifts, he says, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? And I was sharing this this morning, how I not only taught against the gifts of the Spirit, <laughs> yes, I did, um, but I was inoculated against the things of the Spirit by fear. Fear that I was going to go with a crazy gang and get some big demon. Yeah. And I'm telling you, even when my theology completely shifted, and it did, God did a mighty work, even then there was still residual fear. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's probably a little bit of it still there. But this passage was gold to me. In a way, I saw from, from God himself that when you come with a true heart seeking after experience of your father and you're, you're wanting to be effectual in a relationship with him to get what he knows is for your best, he does not give out 
demons. He gives good gifts. Now, I'm not saying some people don't dish out demons because some of them can. And just be aware of that. Just be careful what you're coming under from time to time. But God doesn't give anything that hurts his children. He does test them. And there's times that we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's part of the inheritance of being an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. But, as the Passion Translation puts, or verse 11, if you are imperfect, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? I don't know whether fear has been a problem with coming in prayer. Or specifically, and I, I want to end on this, prayer to receive from the Holy Spirit more. Isn't it wonderful to say our God is the God of the much more? He's not Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah? He's the God of much more. And you know something about the Holy Spirit? It says in John chapter 3, He gives the Spirit without measure. He doesn't measure out David Legg's little portion of the Spirit. That's what you get for life. Where you go. It's just a constant overflow. He is continually pouring out. And you know what my problem is? Capacity. Yeah. It's like the woman with the, the, the vials of oil in Elisha's day. I believe if she had had more vials, remember they searched the whole house and got more. If she had had more, they would have been filled too. So we want to increase your capacity. And we say, Lord, if you're the God of the much more, I want much more. But if fear is in the way, it needs to go in Jesus' name. We need to start believing God. We need to step out in faith and risk to believe God, that there is much more. And we need maybe to repent of mindsets, theologies, things we've assented to, things we've agreed with, things we've maybe even said about other people when they've acted weird, when it was meant to be under the Holy Spirit. And, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit. And we've actually spoken out against those things. If you want effective prayer, you need the Holy Spirit. You've not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears not made perfect in love. It's all relational. Romans 2.4 says, The goodness of God leads us to repentance. And the word for repentance is the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind. The goodness of God changes our mind when we realize who he is for us. He is our father and we are his kids. And he's a good father with a good heart. And he gives good gifts. We realize then who we are to him. And I'm telling you, metanoia, change of mind, that will change your prayer life forever. Change your mind. Change your prayer life. Let's pray. Now, there's two questions that you've been asking during this series. They're on the screen, but stay in the attitude of prayer. What is God saying to me? What's God saying to you tonight? And the second is, what am I going to do about it? Let me just say, you can sit where you are, and you can contemplate this, what he is saying to you from what you've heard tonight about prayer, about who he really is, how you relate to him, what he wants to be for you, and what are you going to do about it?
might be a change of mind, but a change of mind usually means that some behaviors will be changed as well. Now, can I say this to you? You can sit where you are and contemplate this, or you can come out and get prayer, because I believe people who have been afraid of interacting with God through the Holy Spirit have been set free from that tonight. But what you need to do is actually demonstrate that and step out. Faith without works is dead. Step out and come out for prayer, and I'll be happy praying with you. There'll be other guys. The prayer team, of course, will be at the back. But in this moment, and we're about to worship, in this moment of response, I just love to pray with people to receive more of the Holy Spirit than you've got at this moment. Or maybe it's better just saying um, that the Holy Spirit receives more of you, actually, or you surrender more to Him. Yeah? yeah. yeah? Or if you need healing. Maybe you're starting to realize, actually, it's not, I'm not trying to wrench this from God's hand, you know, like with a spanner, but he, he's actually wanting to much more, give me much, much more. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's something else. Now, the prayer team are at the back. The prayer team are at the back. But I'm going to pray for you just now, and I want to say this to you. As I'm praying for you, collectively, if you witness the Holy Spirit on you, I'm not going to tell you what that's like because you, you sh you'll know if it happens in some sort of a way, you sense the moving of the Spirit on you, guess what? You need to come and get prayer. And you need to be the first to go and get prayer. And you'd be very welcome to come and I'll pray for you. But whatever it is, He is here tonight. Abba is here. Papa is here. With all His good gifts. You know, there must be a, like a warehouse up in heaven with David Legg's name on it, with boxes piled high, where I have not been in a place to receive, and God is just wanting to drown me with all these gifts. Well, come on, let's, let's open the roof space latch of heaven and let them all come out tonight. Yeah? On your head, let them come out for you to receive what God has for you tonight. So just don't wait. Just come on. Get the prayer, go to the prayer team at the back, or just engage with God where you're at. But I hope your prayer life changes from this night on. In Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.